Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor. We're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. Tonight, it's the CBS original comedy, The Neighborhood. I need at least a month to prepare for a debate, not six hours. Actually, it's four hours. <laughs> no, my watch is broken, too. With Cedric the Entertainer, Max Greenfield, and guest star Wayne Brady. You gotta fund the schools or graduate fools. I stole all my lines. Look, don't worry, I got a plan. Okay, well, what is it? Okay, so I don't have a plan. A new episode of The Neighborhood. You're gonna have to give them a show. Tonight, 8, 7 central on CBS. Rick Hamla, a Sirius XM NBA fan, going to be joining us in about 20 minutes here on Wilson and Parcel. We'll get into the NBA playoff action. We're going to talk about uh, what is happening in the Boston and Philadelphia series in just a moment here. But uh, breaking news coming out here with NC State uh, moving to all undergraduate classes online following an increase in COVID-19 cases among students. Uh this is not this is not the first. Obviously, UNC was the first uh, in the ACC that we got wind of this, but this certainly won't be the last either, Josh. No, Notre Dame has done this too. Uh, you're seeing a number of schools do this. It's uh, obviously this goes beyond sports. This is just a decision. I feel like a lot of a lot of universities should have made in the first place. But hey, get that tuition money. Um, so I think as far as sports are concerned, and as far as college football is concerned. As Matt Brown has said, as a lot of people have opined in the last few days, if you want a college football season to happen uh, and you want these players to be as safe as possible, then having students off of campus is the way to do that. Uh, if you're going to keep these kids out of classes, interacting with students, that's the best way to, to try to ensure that you or at least mitigate the risk of your players catching the virus and there being outbreaks. So. Um, I, I, yeah, as you said, I don't, I don't think this will be the last at all. I think there will be plenty of others, but now you have two in the, in the triangle making that call. That's the latest from college football in the NBA. We got another great round of playoff basketball yesterday. It's, it's great if you're in Boston where the Celtics won 128 over Philadelphia, 128 to 101. And Boston now has the 2-0 series lead. And if you're Kemba Walker, or if you're Joel Embiid, you got 34 points last night. You wonder what else you have to do to get anyone around you not named Josh Richardson in to 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 whether it's make three-point shots or just to help you win these games or, or at least be more competitive. Yeah, they, they were a mess last night. Uh, early on, they were great. Joel Embiid was dominant in the first quarter. Uh, but then Boston went on a big run and never really looked back. Uh, and that was fueled by Kemba. That was fueled by Tatum. Uh, and I thought Jalen Brown played pretty well last night as well. And I actually loved what I saw out of Marcus Smart and guys like Brad Wanamaker. I mean, hitting some shots. So I, I think that this series is over. 
Boston will win. Uh, they may very well sweep. Philadelphia looks like a team that is they're, they're like every parent uh, who's ever had kids and taken them to Orlando. They're ready to get the heck out of Disney World. And that that's Philadelphia right now. They don't want to be there. Joel Embiid hardly wants to be there. He knows he can't win it on his own. He's trying. And Brett Brown's probably going to be gone. He should be gone. And we'll see. It's going to be a very tumultuous offseason for the Sixers. It's going to be one of the more interesting offseasons. Whatever, whatever decisions they make, I don't know they have the guy currently in place right now in Elton Brand. But I can tell you this. People want to, every time the Sixers have any sort of struggles, people want to turn this into some sort of narrative on how the process was a bust and, and how the process can never work. The process wasn't perfect, and there are reasons why this thing hasn't become, why Philly hasn't become the dynasty that they were trying to be with the process. But the understanding of the process, and whether you want to call the process tanking or whatever you want to refer to that as, is so much worse then the actual tank job or the process job that the Sixers started out and eventually what they accomplished before Sam Hinkie was fired. Yeah, you know, there, there's two different conversations you have to have. And I was talking about it with, with Kyle Bailey during the handoff because Kyle's very anti-tank and anti-process and all that. And I understand. He also hates but, fun. Um, well, I don't, know about, I don't know about that. I'm it's only saying that because he hates the process. Yeah. The thing about Philly is they didn't, the process never happened. It was like the process. They got halfway through it and then they gave up. And that wasn't all on Philadelphia. The NBA wasn't happy that Philadelphia was losing year after year. They essentially uh, orchestrated a, a backdoor deal to, to force Sam Hinkie out. Uh, the famous resignation letter, uh, you know, was was the result of that. And then Jerry Colangelo comes in, who's a well-respected guy. The league essentially gets him in place. And then Colangelo has one of the most unusual scandals ever with some burner phone controversy in a, in a random article on the ringer. And then he gets fired and then they bring in Elton brand and all Elton brand has done has shipped out JJ Reddick, shipped out Jimmy Butler, brought in Al Horford at 32 years old on a four year astronomical contract and uh, handed out bad deals and made, and made bad trades. So Elton brand and Jerry Colangelo took what was Sam Hinkie's vision and took it in a totally different direction. The question you need to ask is not does tanking work. It's does, do pro sports front offices do do ownerships uh, around the NBA or around any sport? Do they have the stomach to suffer through more than three seasons of losing and asset accumulation to see to see the process through? In Philadelphia, the answer was no, and that's where we are today. And it's pretty much been proven time and time again that owners talk a great game and they don't back that bleep up. And and remember what made the situation in Philadelphia. I'm, you can say whether Hinky should have been fired or not. I don't. I don't give a damn. He's he not. Shouldn't a, have. He's not an uncle. He's not like I personally. It was, it was I, stupid. I personally think that they panicked and made the wrong decision. But remember, they hired Jerry Colangelo above him, and then when Hinky resigned, Colangelo hired his son Brian Colangelo, who became the GM, who's never done. Bleep every he's gotten multiple opportunities to be the GM in the NBA and he's been awful every time. Then Jerry resigned. So basically he took the job so he could get his kid a gig, got the kid his gig after pushing Sam Hinkie aside, and then his kid went about tearing apart the Philadelphia 76ers, only having to resign for that ridiculous texting or the tweeting scandal. I just look at it and I say for people who want to say this never works, well, they did get Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and they managed to get 
two superstar talents. Where the things fell apart were when Sam Hinkie wasn't in charge, the the Jimmy Butler trade, which didn't really work out for them, with them going to the, the semis last year and then turning around and, and Jimmy going to Miami. Uh, the, the Dario Saric uh, going to, to Minnesota is part of that. Basically, the Jimmy Butler thing was systemic. They traded off every single asset that they had making different moves that really in the end didn't make a damn difference that's but the initial process got them ben simmons and joel Embiid, which is exactly what they were going for get two superstars and see if you can pair them for a third yeah and the thing that hinky didn't do well at all and i think this is well documented is he didn't draft well you know you can have those great picks you can have top three picks or number one picks even you've got to get the right guy and the odds are going to tell you that even if you have the number one pick or a top three pick five years in a row not every single one of those guys is going to turn into a star and look at the history of the nba you take the top three picks 60 to 65 percent of them turn out to be great players a handful of them turn out to be megastars but for philadelphia they they whiffed on some guys they didn't draft chris Stapps Przingis. there were other players that they could have had that they they didn't draft that that falls on hinky and it falls on brian colangelo in the, in the next front office but um yeah it, look the simmons and Embiid thing is weird it doesn't work um that that's partially on brett brown as well but let's also remember that well, I don't think they would have necessarily won the title, although maybe they have, well, would have, but they they are a bounce, 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 bounce on the rim and then in away from playing potentially in the conference finals. I mean, Kawhi Leonard hit an incredibly lucky shot last year. Great play, awesome moment, great picture, uh, and Kawhi hits the shot and sends the Toronto to the Eastern Conference Finals. They beat Milwaukee pretty easily. Could Philadelphia have beaten Milwaukee? think it's very possible had Philadelphia beaten Milwaukee and played the beat up version of the Warriors that Toronto got to play in the NBA final we could be talking about Philly as a, as a champion we're obviously not it's on water under the bridge it didn't happen but the margins are, are very close in the NBA and Philadelphia as of last year had a chance to get it done and then some of the deals that Elton Brand made this past offseason have clearly not worked out it's blown up in their face they've also made three straight playoff appearances and I don't think Elton Brand's going to get it right. They still do have a player in Ben Simmons who has considerable value. It's not as if if they choose Joel Embiid, which I think everybody thinks they will, but if, if they choose Joel Embiid and trade Ben Simmons, if they find a deal that actually works for them, instead of doing what Cleveland did with the Kyrie Irving trade where they treated him for a bunch of pieces in a draft pick, if they try, if they actually can find value for Ben Simmons in the form of a a, a single player, Philadelphia is still going to be really good. Like Philadelphia, they've they've made three straight playoff appearances. They've got a 600 winning percentage over the last three years. This year was a bleep show. There's no other way to look at that. This year was a failure. But a lot of the reasons why this year was a failure, and you can say last year was a failure, was an inexperienced GM making bad moves and also not drafting well enough around the guys that they have to help kind of pad the core as it is, or, or at least support them. I mean, if, if you're going to, if you're going to have both these guys here and bead and Simmons together, can we get some, can we get some three pointers? Or just, can we get some good three point shooters to build off uh, Ben Simmons at the very least? Yeah, they, they're not well built right now. And Tobias Harris is good. He's not, $37 million or $40 million a year good, which is what he's going to get paid over the next four years. Uh, Al, the Al Horford deal 
made no sense. He's already he's coming off the bench in the playoffs. I mean, this is it's not as bad as Batum, but you're paying a guy twenty eight million dollars to come off the bench. I would love Al Horford four years ago, but that guy is gone. And to hand him this kind of deal at that age was a panic move. It was a, a move out of desperation to try to win this season and, and to win optics. And it's blown up. And what to win optics. They they lost their ass on the Jimmy uh, Jimmy Butler deal. They also tried to win the Tobias Harris deal last year, which is why they resigned him because they gave up more assets for him. They they looked foolish trading for Jimmy Butler and and basically having to turn around and trade him for only Josh Richardson. Yeah, and you know I think and they also I think own Miami's pick if I'm not mistaken. But either way, it, they 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 have they got worse. They were a better basketball team a year ago. And Elton Brand made them worse. Uh, it's a shame. And but I, I mean, again, when we talk about the process and was it a failure? It, it was a failure, but it, it goes so much deeper than that. And uh, someone pointed out on the Building Center text on a couple minutes ago. Oh, you know, you tell me a blind man wouldn't have picked Jason Tatum over Markel Fultz. I would. I would have, and I'm on record saying I wish I was on the radio then because I would have been saying it every day leading up to the draft. We got to see the tweets. I thought they're probably out there, honestly. Jason Tatum, I I thought Jason Tatum was the next Carmelo Anthony. Uh, It could be better, but I thought that was the kind of player, just an incredible, pure, go-get-you-buckets-on-the-wing shot creator, and Tatum is proving to be that. Tatum right now is doing a lot of the things that young Carmelo was doing. He's honestly ahead of where Carmelo was, I think, at the same stage in their career. Because he agrees to play defense? Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and just is actually making plays in big moments, which Carmelo didn't do since he'd left Syracuse for a long time in the league. So I, I, yeah, I mean, imagine if, if they had drafted Przingis or, and, and, or drafted Tatum. Now you have Simmons, Przingis, Tatum, and B is a very different story. So there's two components to this. It's drafting the right guys. It's allowing the front office that created this vision to actually see it all the way through. And if you don't do those two things, particularly the latter, then what's the point? Because the the, the vision that Hinky had was very specific. You can't, you can't, there's no half measures. You can't go three years into this and trade a bunch of guys away and create a, clear a bunch of salary cap and draft and, and acquire a ton of draft picks and then say, you know what? Actually, we're going to start signing uh, these mid-level guys left and right, or we're going to start trading away those assets for Tobias Harris. Now, all of a sudden, you're in trouble, and that's where I just don't know if a pro sports team will ever have the stomach to do what Sam Hinkie set out to do, which we'll never know if it actually worked or not. Texas Hour via the Building Center tweets courtesy of Diamonds Direct. Rick Kamla joins us to discuss the Sixers' process and what's next in the situation, and if the Clippers are in trouble after losing last night to Dallas Wilson and Parcel on Sports Radio FNZ. Radio FNC, welcome back to Wilson and Parcel. I'm still Nick, he's still Josh, and the NBA playoffs still going on right now. About six minutes left in the fourth quarter. Uh, the Heat have a 103-91 lead over the Pacers. Uh, they can finish out this game. That's going to give them a 2-0 series lead over uh, the Indiana Pacers. That'd be a pretty good start there. Uh, Duncan Robinson, what a find for the Heat. Has 24 points thus far for Miami. Uh, but to go ahead and talk about the playoffs, what we saw last night between Dallas and the Clippers, and of course the process and what we were just talking about, we out to we head out to the Technicom hotline and welcome on the great Rick Kamla of Sirius XM NBA fame. Rick, welcome back to the show, buddy. 
Nick and Josh, what's going on? I wish you all luck today on this uh, draft lottery eve. We, uh, I would say that I wish you, as a man who lived in Atlanta for quite a few years, luck back. But that would be an, uh, a blatant lie. You've had, the, you got Trey Young. You, ha- you have enough uh, luck. Uh, Atlanta does not have enough luck either. There's no question. Um, Minnesota's had fleeting luck over the years. They haven't gotten enough. I mean, you guys, it's been over 20 years since the lottery worked out for you and you went up instead of like staying put or, or dropping. Um, you know, the Charlotte Hornets need get, need to get back to the nineties when you went up to get Zoe, when you went up to get LJ and then obviously, uh, uh, going up in the lottery to get Baron Davis. Um, but the, the cupboard's been kind of bare, uh, since then. So I, I would say, and guys, I am a believer in the principle of do like it, it, sometimes you just do for something. And we're talking about a generation removed from the last lottery luck that the Charlotte franchise has had. So, uh, so yeah, maybe tonight's the night. Well, Rick, I know a lot of people in Charlotte certainly hope so, but at the same time, this is not the strongest draft that we can think of in recent years, at least on paper. I look at the Hornets team now, Rick, and I see a couple of pieces that they can build around. Not a lot, but they've got a few I love Devontae Graham. Are you as upset as we are that Devontae Graham was not a finalist for most improved player? You know what? I I see your gripe for sure. Uh, He was on my very short list for candidates for most improved player. Uh, And and I think the leap that he took from year one to year two was arguably the biggest in the NBA. I mean, he went to a, I mean, kind of an off-the-radar prospect. Uh, to be, and I loved him at Kansas. I, I didn't understand him slipping to the second round at all. Uh, he just had a maturity and a bounce and a and a wetter about his game at Kansas. I was like, this guy's not getting enough credit. I'd say the same thing about Frank Mason, um, another Kansas uh, point guard who's now a prospect for the Bucks. But uh, uh, you know, in in terms of of, of that scenario, uh, uh, and, and looking ahead to tonight, um, you know, Onyeka Ogunwa. Uh, uh, Okungwa from uh, USC, I think is exactly what you all need. Uh, you've got one through four set up on this Charlotte Hornets team, and I think you need that active shot blocking big man. You know, God bless Cody Zeller, uh, but to me, he he looks very good as a backup center, as a starting center. I think he uh, uh, ends up on the short end of the stick a lot of these nights. So uh, uh, Okungwa from USC, six nine shot blocker. Uh, if you are in that eight range, um, I think that's where you guys should look. Rick Kamla of SiriusXM NBA on the Technicom hotline here on Wilson and Parcel. Uh, we we did get into a, another guy who is up for the most improved player in the NBA. A guy who was Rookie of the Year, Luka Doncic, had a hell of a night last night with 28 points, 8 boards, 7 assists as the Mavericks topped the, uh, the Clippers to pull that series even at 1. Uh, do you think that the Mavericks have what it takes to knock off the Clippers? Um, you know, we're going to find out because the, they have the talent to knock off the Clippers guys, but do they have the seasoning, the maturity, the experience to close out games in the final three minutes? Uh, your Charlotte Hornets are going to be going through this right with Devonte Graham. It's his maturity continues. Terry Rozier still needs seasoning. Okay. Uh, uh, and with bridges and with Washington, like that young core, I love, they don't know how to win yet. Okay. And it's going to take time. And, uh, and, and for Dallas, you're doing it against the Clippers and Doc Rivers, so it's obviously a monumental challenge. But the Clippers have a an Achilles heel to them. Someone's always hurt. There's some disconnect at some place. It's been that way all year, whether it's George, Kawhi, uh, whether it's Lou Williams, Pat Beverly. And without Pat Bev, you don't have the head of the snake of your defense, 
And so everything crumbled from there, and it made Kawhi and George that much less effective on Luka Doncic. And Luka Doncic is so amazing and, and like, on such a trajectory to be an all-time great that you're not going to stop him. You're basically at his mercy. Uh, Porzingis is killing it. Seth Curry is killing it. Um, They're in this series, guys. This series is going to go long. I'm still going to stick with my pre-series prediction of Clippers and Six. Rick, I'm still mad about Game 1 and what happened to Chris Stapp's Porzingis. Should he have been ejected? You know what? You've got to piece it together, right? There is a rule that you can't air punch the official. He air punched an official, uh, right? If the if the ref didn't blow his whistle for attack, I would have been happier about that scenario. But you can't air punch a an official. That's the Rasheed Wallace rule. That's why they put it in was to keep Rasheed Wallace from doing that to their officials uh, in the David Stern era. And then the second one is you're a third man in on an altercation. And did he do anything? No, he got shoved by Marcus Morris. But you getting involved triggered the double technical scenario, and you guys know two technical fouls is an automatic suspension. So uh, it's it's like unfortunate circumstances for Porzingis. But I've been one of few people that have been that have not been mad at the officials for that whole exchange. Man, Rick, I, I hear you. I just, as someone who loves upsets, it would be real nice to see Dallas up 2-0 right now and just to put the pressure on a Clippers team with so many expectations going into the year. Rick, I, I upset some people earlier today because I said after breaking Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record for points in their first two career playoff games, I think it's possible, merely possible, that Luka Doncic, one day, we could be talking about him as one of the three to five best players who ever lived. Am I crazy for thinking that's in the realm of possibility? No, and, and you know how people are. They hear what they want to hear, okay? And that's fine. That's part of our game in sports talk radio. But you can use words like likely, probably, uh, use words like projection. Um, but people hear Luka Doncic's top five player all the time. <laughs> right. okay? so, let's con- so let's condense that. Um, it's possible. It really is because he is, to me, the comparisons are LeBron James and Magic Johnson. Okay, both of those guys are on my Mount Rushmore. LeBron is three and Magic is four. And, and he favorably compares to both of those players. He more compares to me to Magic Johnson. He's a little bit more of a grounded player, plays with more of a smile and more of a flair. And there are a lot of other similarities as well that I won't bog you down with. But to me, Luca is not the second coming of Bird. He's the second coming of Magic or the third coming or, or, or what, what have you. Um, and so, yes, I, I think, guys, I will promise you right now, Luka Doncic will be an MVP in this league at least once, probably multiple times. And I think he will be a champion in this league at least once. And uh, here we go with these words again, uh, probably <laughs> multiple times. I think he's already been a superstar and a big-time winner overseas like he's already checked that box he's already cracked the code on how to beat grown-ass men uh at basketball and he did this as a teenager and a you know basically a teenager so now that he's a grown-ass man in the nba uh, it's only a matter of time before he ticks off mvps and championships rick kamla of sirius xm nba joining us in the technicom hotline here on wilson and parcel on sports radio fnz with the nba playoffs well underway in the bubble rick what has to happen for the Lakers to get back in the series tonight and, and to go on and win this series against the Blazers? Great question. Um, two things for me, uh, and it's not activity and urgency and effort. I saw that from L.A. in game one. What I didn't see was Kyle Kuzma in the starting lineup. The best the Lakers have looked since the restart has been that game against Denver. Everybody watched on TNT. It was the game winner by Kuzma with four-tenths of a second left over the 7-2 Bull Bull, but he had an awesome game. 
25 points with goodies, and he was activated the most I have seen him all year with this new arrangement of James and Davis because he's been coming off the bench. He wants to start. He's been a good soldier. He hasn't uh, complained about it publicly, but everybody knows he wants to start. He's uh, probably a year or two removed from a big payday. The more stats you have, the more money you make. Um, And so you get him in the starting lineup, it just sends his brain in a very good direction. He's going to make the extra plays. He's going to dive out of bounds for loose balls. He doesn't do that coming off the bench. So let's start there. Start Kyle Kuzma. The other thing is, guys, um, and I don't know if they're going to, but they have to make three-point shots. I think they were 5 of 32, like 15% on three balls in game one. That's not even close to good enough against a bad three-point shooting team, let alone a great three-point shooting team like the Portland Trailblazers. So, fellas, you got to start Kuzma, and you have to find a way to make between 35% and 40% of your threes. Otherwise, it's going to be 0-2, and then it's over. This Laker team is not winning four out of five games against this talented Blazers team. That's just not going to happen. Mm, I could I could see it, man. I could see I could see it coming a week ago. If okay, well, actually, real quick, this is not my real question, but you said LeBron's third on your Mount Rushmore. Who's two? Two is Kareem, okay. and one is Michael. Oh, okay. And uh, everybody wants to fast forward past Kareem and make it LeBron versus yep. Mike. I still think it's Kareem versus Mike. Yeah, it, that's a that's a great debate we could have forever. It, I separate the bigs from the wings, but I hear you. But either way, you you have Jordan clearly ahead of LeBron. Paul Pierce said something yesterday, Rick, where if LeBron were to lose this series this year to Portland, forget any debate about the GOAT between MJ and and LeBron. Do you agree? Not necessarily. Um, I think there is still a mathematical accomplishment equation where LeBron James can pass Kareem and then enter the mix with with Jordan. What has to happen, though, is the 35-year-old LeBron James, who probably has three or four, like, really quality, uh, sensational seasons left. Age 39 is usually when guys uh, start to uh, completely dip in their skill level and their production. So the clock is ticking. But he needs two more championships to get to five, and then you're one off of Jordan. To me, as a historian and as a Mount Rushmore guy, that's big. It doesn't obviously match Michael, but damn, I mean, five versus six is pretty close, okay? And then if you look at other metrics, and LeBron has them in all-time rankings across the board and points, rebounds, uh, assists, blocks, and steals, okay, uh, that's advantage LeBron, okay? So then it starts to even out a little bit. But the other thing that LeBron James has to do, and I think that he will do this, I don't think he's going to win two more championships, but I do think he's going to do this. He's going to pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at 38-387 and become the uh, uh, the NBA's all-time leading scorer. But if you can do both, get to five rings and pass Kareem, okay, I, I think then we can have a legitimate debate about LeBron and Michael. Rick, uh, great stuff as always, man. Thank you so much for your time, buddy, and uh, I, I hope you're enjoying these playoffs as much as we are. They've been sensational. I can't wait to uh, get back to this Heat and Pacers game. Uh, Lakers Blazers tonight, man. We're in the belly of the beast, and it's really fun. Thank you, guys. Absolutely, buddy. Thank you so much there. Rick Hamla of Sirius XM NBA. Joining us there on the Technicom Hotline, breaking down the latest in the playoffs. So we did talk about the Heat and Pacers. That's going on with the Heat having a 10-point lead inside a minute left in that game. We got the Thunder and Rockets coming up at 3.30. The Magic and Bucks. The Bucks trying to get back in that series at 6 p.m. And then, uh, of course, the Blazers and Lakers tonight with the Lakers trying to get back into that series with a 9 p.m. tip-off. Uh, great stuff with Rick just there, but when we come back, it, it was the thing that we led the show with. USA Today has the Carolina Panthers going 2-14 and 14 in 2020 
You guys got to finish this sentence for us. The Panthers go 2-14 and 14 if... Finish that sentence next on Sports Radio FNZ. got to do is be patient. We're in such a an instant gratification that if they go 4-12 and 12 this year, people are going to say, oh, he's no good. I'm with you. I lean on the side. If you'll let Matt Rule do his thing like they did at Temple and like they did at Baylor, then he'll turn around. you got to have players. I don't care if you're the best coach in the world. You don't have players, you don't, you're not winning. Give me an average coach with great players, they'll win. Give me a good coach with good players, then you're going to be in the playoffs with a chance in the tournament every year. So I'm a Matt Rule fan. I thought it was a great hire. And now we'll see how it turns out. And I'm going to tell you what now. you don't, Joe Brady, he got the right guy. Sports Radio FNZ, that was Sean Salisbury commenting on Matt Rule and having patience, which Josh ties perfectly into the USA Today predictions for the Carolina Panthers for 2020. Yeah, Sean is speaking the truth right there. You have an average coach and you have good players, you're going to win some games. You have bad players, doesn't matter who's coaching them. You have bad players, you're not winning football games. And uh, USA Today... Seems to agree because their prediction isn't very. Uh, it's not the it's not the friendliest prediction for the Panthers. I, well, okay, maybe, better. Maybe not the friendliest, uh, but but might in the end being one of the better things that could happen. They had him going two and fourteen, Josh, and I actually threw out uh, at Nick Wilson says only Diamonds Direct Twitter feed. You can also hit us up on the Building Center text line, by the way. But I threw up uh, a twenty a two and fourteen season for Carolina would be blank. For, for the team this year. And so either best case scenario or worst case scenario right now, just under 65% of voters saying it would be the best case scenario, uh, at least when voting against the worst case scenario. I do think that if Matt rule as a first year head coach, if it's going to be an unpleasant year, which I would say anything six and 10 or less is, I think having it be the most unpleasant year and putting you in the sweepstakes, if not the driver's seat for Trevor Lawrence, would go a long way in the long run for this being a best-case scenario for the Panthers. You know, I tell you what, I don't care what the record is. I don't. Um, uh, and I, I sound like a coach, but I, I care about process. <laughs> I, I care about, hey, is is Dante Jackson a, a, a fixture on the defense or are you moving on? Did you find something in Justin Burris or is Derek Brown a, a, a top shelf rookie? Is he living up to the billing as a number seven pick? Is Jeremy Chin? Did you find a diamond in the rough in the second round? Like I'm looking at, I'm looking more microscopic with the Panthers. The record, because because I would say in one sense I could say two and fourteen is the best case because it's probably going to get you Trevor Lawrence, which I would love. I love Trevor Lawrence. I'd be I'd be thrilled if Trevor Lawrence was the quarterback of the future in Carolina. I haven't bought his jersey already like Mac has, but I love the idea of, of Lawrence here. But I also think that if the Panthers outperform most of our expectations, certainly mine, and they win six games, and it's something like what we saw with Miami last year, for example, where it's not a good team, but new coach, right guys, buy in, play hard, get better, and they're winning games by the end of the year. If that happens... I don't think that's the worst case scenario. I think that could be really, really good because now you have optimism moving forward. You have salary cap space, and maybe you, if you're winning games, you probably have found a few guys that you didn't know were, were building blocks. So I don't know that I look at the record and I say best or worst case scenario, but if they go 2-14 and 14 and it lands you Trevor Lawrence, that nobody's going to think that's a bad thing. It's it's tough for me to think that 6-10 and 10 is going to leave too many people optimistic because, it, because it's the in-between of the extremes, right? 
Like, but if, don't, the, if, don't, don't Dolphins fans right now feel pretty good about their future? Because they got to a tongue of Iloa. Sure. And and so they were able to but go through six the process. Ten. Well, no, th- didn't they go five and eleven because they got the or five and eleven? Either, but but you said, okay, I, barely I, a difference. I what but you're yes. saying. But I but again, if they went five and eleven and they didn't get Tua, and they didn't have a shot at Justin Herbert, and they were going back there with either a mid round pick or a second round pick quarter, at quarterback and Ryan Fitzpatrick, ain't nobody being rosy in Miami right now. Probably less enthusiastic, but I still think generally Miami would feel good about the direction they were going. I, I listen. They I, wouldn't be as amped as they are with Tua. Don't get me wrong. Nobody gets fully torqued at five and eleven unless there's a quarterback involved. Well, I'm it, not. I'm not telling you they need to throw a parade, but, well, my, no, but I think they would have felt general. This is what Rick Hamlin said this so well a few minutes ago that everybody has to go one side or the other. I think generally Miami fans would feel optimistic about their future. They feel they're thrilled about their future because they got Tua, but. Had they not, I still think they would have been generally good, feel good. Hey, Brian Flores is the right coach. Again, like let's think about this if it happened in Carolina. If they exceeded expectations and they said, man, this Matt Rule guy took a bad roster and won some games, imagine what happens when the roster gets a little bit better. But sure, I don't everybody so. would love the QB, but I think you're putting a little too much emphasis on the quarterback and not enough on how does the team look, how does the team play, and how are they building around them? You're, you're probably right. I mean, listen, I, I my great fear here is falling into the quarterback less abyss that, that I can admit that up front, but I don't think anyone's getting jonesed about six and 10 because five, a lot of the, if it's not, if people don't think they're going to be the worst team in the NFL or second worst team in the NFL, the other, what I think is a, a, an, an easier uh, path for them or logical path is five and 11 or six and 10, which is basically of a top 10 pick five and 11 is the eight and eight of a top 10 pick. Like this is an organization. What? This is an organization that people are sick of a team going seven and nine, eight and eight, and being a five hundred franchise. They they want to get into the the upper echelon. If you draw the equivalence there, if you're getting the the seventh and eighth pick every year, it's tougher to to do the things you need to do and get the piece that you need to get. I would say the other difference with Miami is Miami. You know, going into the process, hadn't just walked three faces of their franchise out the door, including the former MVP quarterback. I I think I think it's gonna take a little bit more to get people excited this year than a six and ten year. I'm not saying every I'm not saying people are gonna be pissed about it, but I think I think apathy is the result of a five and eleven or six and ten season if there isn't a quarterback tied to it. You're gonna need to put that on like like engrave it on like a monument. Mm-hmm. Well, f- hold on, five and eleven. Five and eleven is, is the, the eight, eight and eight, eight of eight. a top ten pick. Yes, that is prophetic. Thank you. <laughs> That's good. Um, People have I, said I, I was prophetic. a little lost on everything that that kind of came after that. I was trying to figure out what that. What is? What does that mean? Walk me. Walk me through. It, five and eleven is the eight and eight of a top ten pick. Mm-hmm. It means that it's the record nobody wants to get because more often than not you're picking outside of the quarterback range. Well, would eight and eight be the the Eight and eight of no, because cause it's not a top ten pick. With eight and eight, you're going to be in the middle round. The point is, it five and eleven is the mediocrity of top ten. You know, two and fourteen is the eight and eight of top two picks. No, no, no. I've been saying that forever. No, no, no. Two and fourteen <laughs> is the fourteen and two of top ten picks. Oh my god, wow, that was that is that is seriously profound. Um, so as far as Miami, I mean, you talk about uh, there could there be apathy here. Well, remember Miami, while well, they they went about it very differently than how Carolina went about it 
at least publicly, Miami got rid of Jarvis Landry. Uh, Miami then eventually got rid of Laramie Tunsil. They eventually got rid of Minka Fitzpatrick. They got rid of some talented young dudes. None of those dudes are Cam Newton or Luke Kuechly. I agree. I agree. But I think the 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 premise of what the Panthers are doing is is similar. I think the Dolphins did it better. I mean, because the Dolphins cashed in on those assets, got a first for Minka. They got a first for Tunsil and more. They, they did it better. The Panthers... Yeah, you know, Cam was hurt, so they they tried to trade him and they couldn't. But the Panthers had to cut Cam, and then Luke retired. There's nothing you can do about that. The Panthers had older players that were less valuable, or or they were injured, and they couldn't cash in and, and get picks. Where Miami could, because Minka's 24 years old, and of course somebody's going to give up a ransom for him. Same thing with Laramie Tunsil, is a, a top seven left tackle in the league in his prime. Carolina doesn't have those kind of assets, but I mean, again, I think. It, a lot of this depends on the way it happens. If they go two and fourteen, we can all agree that while it'll be painful for a lot of fans to to, to suffer through the journey, the the end result, if it means getting what could be a franchise altering quarterback in a Lawrence or a Fields, that that's awesome. And I think fans would would be I know fans would be excited about that. Every fan base is is thrilled when they get that top pick, and then well we got to see if they live up to it. But what I'm saying is when we when when posed the question is it best case or is it worst case the record to me is immaterial when we talk about what the best and worst case is. Two and fourteen there there is a silver lining to that. There is a positive outcome that would be a consequence of that. But I could also see a world in where the Panthers go six and ten and they win maybe they win some games late maybe they knock off a, a, a Packers team late in the season that's a that's in the playoff chase and that's a big win for the Panthers you know whoever else they beat late in the year and all of a sudden you're thinking all right this team's coming around they're getting better you end the season with some momentum and then you go into the draft maybe you get a quarterback maybe you don't but you have a, in theory a pretty good draft pick and you go add to this team you go do it through free agency and you have momentum plus some additions to the team and you could still feel really good about yourself going into next year there's there's not one path to the Panthers be getting better and taking a big step forward in 2021 USA Today has the Panthers going 2-14 and 14 in uh, 2020 the Panthers go 2-14 14 if finish that sentence what's interesting about the conversation that we're having is there was something one of the pushbacks i got that this team could go to in 14 is well they're not tanking and i gotta say we remember there was a report early on when matt rule got hired that this team could be looking to liquidate several players on their roster to get top assets to go the way the dolphins were and it was not responded to favorably, and then it went away, and the Panthers kind of came out, came about it a different message, right? Marty Harney said, we're going to be as good as we, uh, we're going to try and be as competitive as we can be. I'll be honest with you, what I actually think happened there is Matt Rule and Marty Harney got together. They looked at losing 64% of their snaps this year. They realized they were moving on from Cam Newton. They lost Luke Keekley. They had already moved on from Greg Olson. And I think they realized they didn't have to go ahead and quote-unquote tank or gut the roster because the roster was already gutted. They didn't have a choice. They had limited cap space and... You know, most of their defense, the good production of last year's defense were free agents. So to people who said, well, it's not a tank, so they're not going to go 2-14, and 14, you have to be deliberate in that one. No, you don't. Teams can, especially at the end of runs, teams can just run out of gas, have guys leave, have not replaced them in the draft, and you fall on your ass for a year. 
I think that's what's going to happen this year, and I don't think it's a negative thing for the Panthers at all. Yeah, I mean, I want to be clear here, too. I picked the Panthers to go 2-14 and 14 the day the schedule came out. I, I That is my expectation. I think maybe this team wins four because that's most bad teams in the league win around four games. But I think this is a two-win football team in reality looking at the schedule. Um, so there is that. And then a, a point that I've made ad nauseum for the last eight months since Matt Rule was hired. Y'all, like, use a little bit of common sense here. Just a little bit. Let's connect a couple dots. What is Matt Rule known for? Matt Rule is known for not just rebuilding, right? We're talking about overhaul, complete 100% total reconstruction of rosters, of programs, of franchise, whatever. That's what Matt Rule has done. Dave Tepper is the owner of the Carolina Panthers, and he is the one who gave Matt Rule a long-term contract and paid him a ton of money. Why do you think Dave Tepper hired him instead of Mike McCarthy or Eric Bieniemy or any or Josh McDaniels or other guys who might have been more NFL-ready coaches? Because he got the guy who is known for taking programs at the absolute basement and building them up. What do you think that tells us about where Dave Tepper thinks this franchise is right now? He thinks they're at the basement. That's also how the guy happened to make $12 billion is betting on businesses when they're in the basement. So there, there is absolutely a method to the madness in Carolina, and Matt Rule's a part of it. The Panthers go 2-14 and 14 if finished that sentence, and Steve Smith, the great Smitty, is right again about DJ Moore, Sports Radio FNZ.